if you don't ask, answer their questions immediately, but play it back and say like, so how would you answer this question? You get very interesting, um, you get a very interesting perspective. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. I'm happy you're tuning in and joining me on this journey as we talk about leadership and its effect on the employee experience. Thank you so much for downloading this episode, and be sure to hit that subscribe button to get new episodes automatically downloaded to your device. This episode's guest is Thomas Lantala, an experienced professional in crisis management and CEO of the Crisis Compass. He's been all over the world helping out organizations and government entities with crises that they've been dealing with. And I don't know about you, but I've been in organizations where it seemed like everything was on fire all the time. And for me, not being in an operational role, I couldn't really understand why managers just couldn't step back and see the bigger picture or really figure out what was the root cause of all of these issues. That's why I was really excited to have Thomas on so we could explore the empowerment of asking questions and learning to take on different perspectives during crisis. So let's buckle up and let's go. Hey, Thomas, thank you for joining the Leading People First podcast. I'm glad to have you on. Hi, Chris. Thanks a lot for having me. It's really exciting to be in your, on your podcast. Yeah, well, you have a really interesting background, uh, which is, I think, uh, a lot of people can learn from. Um, and so, you know, let's get into it. So what does it mean to you to lead people first? Uh, to mean to lead people first? Well, for me, for me, leadership is something that, that is basically dependent on people giving you that, that trust or almost like putting you in a role of trust where you, where you can lead them. Um, it's for me, it's not necessarily something I can always proclaim to be a leader myself, but if I have nobody who wants to be led by me, that might not really work out. So for me, it's all about the human dynamic between the person who is proclaimed a leader and is trusted as a leader and the people that, that are around it. It's a privilege. It comes with responsibility, but it's ultimately this, this dynamic between the so-called, I don't like the term, but so-called followers or people that are, that like to be led. And the one is that's put in the position. So forgetting that, I think, is shifting the focus to the wrong spot. And that's where the people come back in. So I think you always have to have on the screen who you're actually leading. And that's ultimately people. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think that there's any doubt that you are a leader. Uh, one, of your, <laughs> one of your close friends, Thomas Kerr, shared a little feedback with me. He said, Thomas is an outstanding leader who impresses me with his gift to look at things from so many different perspectives. So I, I, you, I would say you are a leader. You definitely have that focus on, on people. Um, and so I would love to hear and to have you share with those who are listening to uh, learn about where you got to where you are today. How did you learn to lead people first? Well, first of all, that's incredibly, incredibly humbling uh, to hear um, from a very, not very, not only very close friend of mine, but also uh, a really well high level professional as I, as I regard him as. Where, how did I get here? I think um, it's a very, it's a very diverse and maybe not necessarily a standard journey if that exists in any way, because I've, uh, I've had the privilege to work in many countries globally i mean it was by choice i left my home country austria many years back and and since then i've been traveling around a lot um worked in crisis and conflict zones primarily to do the path that i've chosen and i think the privilege with that was that i 
I met a lot of people from different backgrounds, a lot of people from different cultures, and and every of these meetings and every of these encounters was just an eye-opening encounter. Uh, for me, it was just really, it put my own uh, beliefs, my own understanding of culture, my own heritage and values always in perspective to others. And for me, this just became, it became almost a journey where I was, I, I got more, I got hungrier uh, to learn as I went on it. And of course, as, as life takes you, I, I, I had to stop eventually with, with uh, family and, and settle down. But, but across, the, uh, across these, uh, these different stops that I made, I, I met people who, on the one hand, inspired me as leaders. So they really, they, they showed me values, they showed me ways to, to lead people, which I aspired to and which I really hopefully took in. And on the other hand, I was put in that position where on the one hand, I, I like to be. I like to have that trust and, and really put myself out of the comfort zone there as well. But but people people gave me that trust. It became at situations I I really was was put into that. I mean, cultures are different. Sometimes it's more it's almost more formal that you're expected to lead in a way which was which is incredibly uncomfortable uh, because you're not allowed to do things uh, because of the culture that you would like to do. Just to give an example, in Afghanistan, I was not allowed even to carry my own desk out of my office when we moved offices because I was. Mm. I was uh, the head of this team and because of the hierarchy, I wasn't allowed to do that and make me incredibly uncomfortable. But I tried to change perspectives um, to understand their culture and understand this not as an insult, but actually as a, as really trust and, and, and a compliment. So I, I learned from different cultures, different people. And I think that's, that brought me in the journey where I am now. And um, I think it's just, it's, it's still at the beginning. I would not even speak at the end, but I think you never stop learning as a leader. That's, I think, one of my, my key takeaways. Learning is something that is so critical and something that is so um, necessary, right? Not just, just in our own personal lives, but especially for leaders, you have to have this ability to learn. Um, I feel like I've, I've been talking and thinking a lot about that and lately myself and um, you know, with your background, especially in crisis management, working in so many different countries, I mean, you have over 15 years in crisis management. What are some of those key learning moments that you've had? Some of those situations, um, like Afghanistan was a good example, but what are some of the other key learning moments that you've had? I think that there's so many, which, which, which I could point out. I think it's, it's really a, um, things where I was, to sum it maybe up, things where I was really forced to look into the mirror. So I had I had a choice to, to continue what I was doing or to look in the mirror and actually reflect over either my reactions, my mindset, my uh, my my understanding of a situation, um, my communication. So I was really just these opportunities to to look in the mirror, and that's either either in, through people, leading us back to people first. Um, or also in situations where you encounter dynamics. Again, people are involved, but it's really, it's about not missing out on those moments. I think that's a, that's a crucial quality. I mean, one of the things that I often talked about is when I ended up in a, in a leadership rit ritual in, with the Aborigines in Australia, which basically they just, they gave me one rule uh, as many other of the participants, and that was, you're not allowed to ask any questions. Mm. And this is like, this just was one of the one a life changing journey for me because we're we're trained to ask questions right and I was taken away the only ability that I thought was really most effective to learn with and I was really I was taught that this is actually not the case there's so many other ways to learn so 
I, I feel like I never stop learning. It's like in, in our conversation now, in previous conversations that I've had, I think it's, it's for me, it's a mindset. And again, that brings me back to that. That's also part of my leadership. Leadership is the implementation of a mindset. And mine is that I want to take the best out of the situations when I meet people and learn and take away things that I can apply or can, can grow from in different encounters. Yeah, we there's so many so many things that we can learn from those different uh, areas, and especially when we take on different perspectives. And it's really interesting um, the story that you've had that I've heard um, right when you worked with the Aborigines in Australia, and you've shared before right how we many of us, especially here in the U.S. at least, or my experience I should say is you know don't be afraid to ask questions. Right? There's no such thing as a stupid question. Um, but you've talked about in the past how that, and you just shared just now, right, where that's not necessarily the right approach. So can you talk more about that and what leaders can do to develop team members who need to build that critical thinking or find new ways to learn? I think questions are, are underestimated. And I like to call it that I've really learned after this experience in Australia where I was just not allowed to ask any questions and I got mirrored that every time I asked one, which was just made me understand how often I actually asked questions. And um, what it did to me is really ultimately now looking back, I understood that the more questions I asked, it disempowered me because it's the, it's, it's, it's a beautiful uh, thing that I also see now with my children. If you, if you don't answer their questions and they have lots, right They're they're very small. If you don't ask, answer their questions immediately, but play it back and say like, so how would you answer this question? You get very interesting. Um, you get a very interesting perspective because I ha I had my perspective. I had my understanding. I have you know I've seen a bit more of the world than my my small children, but even more exciting to listen to their stories. And I think as a leader, this is one one way I would like to even more often approach this and not immediately like jump into either ask questions because that's always done from a power position from where I'm standing because you put the spotlight on the person being asked, but also. Um, when you actually respond to questions, maybe play it back first and empower people by saying like, so how would you answer it before I tell you my perspective? And, um, and, that's, and that just really changes a little bit because you, well, you give them not only a platform, you give them the trust, you show curiosity, you show that you are actually interested in their perspective. doesn't mean you don't have one yourself, but it, then it becomes more of an exchange other than uh, spoken out of a power position. So I think this is a little bit my my thing that I've learned with, with questions. Um, and that's why I'm trying to be very careful when I ask them. That's really funny because, um, one thing came to mind is this, this term rubber ducking. Have you heard of that term before? I uh, have heard it, but I could not really uh, <laughs> give it a meaning at the moment. So, so it was, uh, I, I'm, it's escaping me where it, it got developed, but essentially what it was, was, um, this leader or this manager puts a rubber duck on their, on his team's desk. And rather than the individual team member go into their boss and saying like, Hey, can you answer this for me? It was a, a way of coaching themselves. Right. Oh, wow. So ask the rubber duck 10 to 15 questions to get to the answer because you have your own, you know, like you can come up with the answer on your own. But the other thing too, that I think is really interesting in, in the way that you play back the question to others is that it allows for different perspectives. It allows also for how things are being perceived, right? 
because you as uh, maybe a manager have a different view on what's happening in work or whatever's going on in the, in the moment than what your team or the individuals on your team are perceiving. So it's something that I think is really important that leaders understand that, that, that their, you know, perception is a, is a very real thing. And I have, I have experienced exactly what you're saying, not only in that, that situation with the Aborigines, but many times while being led myself or being a leader, that, that questions are very often asked out of a position of insecurity. And it's not because I don't have an own opinion, but I was on the one hand, I was trained to ask if I'm, if I'm not certain about something, which, which in itself is almost, it's good, but it's also, it's also disempowering because it, it, it's way easier to ask you what you think about leadership than reflect over it myself and come, come up with a conclusion. Right. But often it's also out of insecurity where you're like, well, you know, I have respect for the person or it's a strict manager or it's, I'm not sure my answer is actually right. And the right or wrong is anyway, something I encounter so often. It's, it's for me, it's not about right or wrong. It's about, yeah, what's your perspective and what's mine. And let's see if we meet somewhere in the middle or expand our realities together. And I think this is one of the key issues here. And by playing question back, you, as you say, you give the other one a platform to, to come up with, with their perspectives and share. And that, that, that in itself is already enriching my own perspective because then I know and maybe I'll take something away that I can add on to my views. Yeah, again, have, taking on that different perspective is, is important for, you know, not only just asking questions and learning, but also negotiating, right? And then that's something I know you've written about in the past, uh, specifically the using your son and the lessons you've learned from your son around negotiating skills. And while leaders aren't exactly negotiating, right? Like life or death situations, these skills are still necessary when leading teams, right? So what was a big learning moment your son taught you that you think leaders can learn from? I think my son is, uh, yeah, he's a tough negotiator. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's anyway my biggest hero, but he certainly is a tough negotiator. I think it's, I mean, there's many things that you can you can take away. It's on the one hand, it's just really um, think, you know, don't, don't think about just one approach. It's not. It's never one approach. If things and it doesn't have to be negotiation, but it's it's anything. It's um, try out new things. And and um, you mentioned my son, and I, I really, he and now my daughter also. They are both reasons why I actually started to really really like watch more children because it's learning from them is just one of the most amazing things because they they don't give up. So one of the things that I would say leaders can learn from from children, not only from my son, but generally from children, is they don't have they don't have yet uh, preconceptions about how things play out. They're only learning it. So they're not they're not going in with uh, well, if I do this, then that's happening. They might have assumptions, but they test it out. They're not they're not following their assumptions only, but they really test it and see if it works or not. And if it doesn't work, they try something else uh, because they're focusing on where they want to go and not how they want to get there. And, and um, this is something that really I think leaders can encourage their teams to do. And I, I also see that as one of, for, for example, my personal leadership responsibilities is to encourage people to try out, to look at things differently, to change their perspectives, to maybe do it completely differently. Uh, you mentioned Thomas before. We, when, when we work together, we at least once, every time we work together, the, the sentence like, why don't we do it completely differently? Uh, drops and, and and I think this is something that children are perfect at so that's certainly something I think leaders can can learn from yeah uh, 
take the mindset of a child, but don't act like one. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah. if, if we're, if we're way more open to, to, to just really trying out and accepting that things are not working out, but we're, we, I think often, often when, when leadership is not encouraging enough, you, you feel like, well, I'm actually trying to avoid to fail here because I'm measured against my attempts, not against whatever, what are my results, not against that. I actually attempted new things. So I think that's, uh, yeah, it's definitely something to it. Well, you know, just the, the fact that you have this observational kind of mindset and approach is something that I think, um, leads into some praise that Anissa Goshi shared. She shared that uh, Thomas is rare as a person and a leader. He leads by observing, listening, and learning. He combines vision with saintly patience, fierce loyalty, belief, encouragement, and commitment. He holds space and is continuously on the lookout for ways to lend support, empower his teams to blossom, explore their gifts, share and further their talents, and inspire clients towards innovative solutions and thinking outside the box. So when, when we look at your experience and this idea of looking outside the box and finding kind of creative ways that you've been able to work again, going back to Afghanistan, you were there for three years and you, and you have shared that you notice how individuals and communities like really adapt and reinvent themselves. And you've also said that, you know, there's a high chance of coming out of situations stronger than uh, stronger when we invent and reinvent and play by the new rules. So really, you know, coming from that create creative lens why is it that, you know, especially now with the pandemic, I, I agree with that notion, but why is it that when we have this creative nature, we come out stronger at the end? Partly because we're overthinking it. Uh, it's as simple as that. I think what we underestimate is that we are adapting already as the rules change. Um, and that brings me to maybe the second part that's crucial here. And that's where we put our focus. And what I see often and what I've seen, whether it's Afghanistan or whether it's whether it's now in the pandemic in client, private life, wherever, is that the focus is often put on on the context, on the things we cannot influence. So and that costs energy. That's like I can I can spend a whole day being angry at the government where I live now of putting in rules that I disagree with. Sure, but that will not change the rules. And that's the fact I spend a whole day uh, uh on this that nobody gets me back and the whole day that i could have used reflecting over what are the new rules um is it set in stone do i have still um, room for maneuver within those new these new rules i'm trying to understand what is actually the new situation because i will not be able to change them so i'll actually have to to either way after my anger has passed i will have to work with it so i think focus and um not overthinking it those are two crucial points and when you put your focus on your own resources, um, your own creating your own choices, you actually get ownership over situation. And then you really start to adapt and not think too much about the context that you're in anymore, but rather accept that this is now the way it's going to be for a while until it changes again, because it always, the rules always change, even though we, we, we don't acknowledge that too often. Um, but that's, that's, the, that's my new play, playing field. So let's see where it, where it can take me. I might have to adjust a bit. But that's fine. It's it's actually an option, an opportunity, not really a burden. Sometimes it's a bit harder to do, but it's still something that gives me a, the opportunity to try something out. And I think that's that mindset is something I really tried to stimulate because that's what got me further. It was a learning journey also for me, but I think it got me really further in wherever I worked. 
Well, when we have more restrictions, we can actually be more creative, right? I, I think that that's a counterintuitive thought, right? Is that when we when we are given restrictions, we have a more clear way to get to the uh, to the solution versus if we you know we're given an open field and and free reign, right? Yes, I, I really agree with that because I think it's if you have fewer resources, fewer options, um, you can you don't have to focus on too much. And one of the the biggest issues, particularly in crisis situations, and we see that now firsthand every day, each of us, is that you have to filter out which information you're using for yourself. And also, there information is such a key element, or, or even communication is such a key element on, on on your mindset that really has impact on how you see things. So if you have fewer restrictions, uh, more restrictions, and less less options seemingly you become way more creative i've seen that so often because you really you play with the options around and say like well is there things we're not seeing yet is there things we could do differently is there a resource that i have not used yet and that's often the most fascinating thing that we are we're overlooking resources that we have because we're not looking upon them as resources and and all of a sudden they become actually crucial so uh yeah i totally agree with that statement yeah well when when we look at you know crisis in general right there's this kind of there, there's this mindset of like everything is on fire right and um and everything's you know the world's burning or you know the the sky is falling whatever you know whatever analogy you want to use and unfortunately a lot of companies have that mentality built into their culture right where everything's on fire everything's an emergency you can never get any work done because there's fires popping up all over the place so you know, based, based on your experience and what you've seen, how do leaders or teams get over that mentality of like running around and how do they work through the issues to create like a more positive experience? Oh, that's a, you're talking about the super skill. Um, and the super skill is what, what I like to call the magic moment. Um, and it's, it's really the, you have to stop yourself before you kick into an automated response. Because crises, and that is in retrospect often more visible than it is during the situation, um, are not always as urgent as they seem. So it's not that you have to take a decision that's life or death. Yes, uh, paramedics have to do that, firemen. But in crises like whether it's the pandemic or it's 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 similar situation, you always have a little bit of time. And taking that one breather and say like, so stop for a second. Let's take it down a notch and let's look at what's actually happening here. What, what is happening here? What is our issue? Because often that again brings us back to the focus. You then focus on situations that lie outside your, your influence. You react to them, but you actually missed an opportunity to, to get an overview and say, like, so what can we influence? What is it that we have control over here? Um, otherwise, you become a play ball of the context, as I'd like to call it. So I think it's really that understanding like, stop. Let's take a stop. Let's just look at what's happening here. That will actually get you in control over the situation most of the time because you can regroup, you can get a common understanding with your team what's happening here, clarify what issues and decisions do we have to take now. And the moment you have feeling of control, it becomes easier, becomes less urgent, becomes a bit more of a flow. People become more creative and trust in the process. Other than that, if you don't do that, you're jumping right in. You don't know what you're doing. It's chaos. It's exactly what you described. So it's really it's a super skill that you have to develop and you have to train and you really have to automatize that moment is stop. Whether it's, it doesn't have to be a crisis. You I worked with teams for, for the past uh, years, like as, as um, 
really focusing on the team development and, and getting them to high performance. And there we see the same thing. It's a simple exercise. You give them, start the exercise, they're jumping right in. And then, of course, change the rules at one point, and it doesn't work. Instead of saying, like, oh, stop, something has changed. Is there something we can adjust? They continue to, to, to try to understand and do at the same time, and that doesn't work. <laughs> when, when, you're, when, you, when you said that, that, uh, that brought back so many memories of different teams where <laughs> they're just like, they're hammering and trying to do the same thing, right? I mean, like, the, when you look at Albert Einstein's definition of insanity, right, that's literally his definition right like you're doing the same thing expecting a different outcome and um i mean as you described it's it's getting stuck in the weeds right and and rather than kind of picking yourself up and stepping back to try and see the forest as we say right Mm -hmm. you can't see the forest through the trees right so you need to be able to take things into a broader context and usually when we have a lot of this, uh, these fires or um, these crises, a lot of times that there's, you know, one or two common denominators that we find, right? Or, or something that causes it. So rather than treating each individual issue, you can treat a larger, usually yeah. those are symptoms, right? You know, you can treat something, um, the underlying issue. When we look at your work with crisis management, do you see that at all? Like where it's, Rather, you know, that there are underlying trends or issues, or is it really just you kind of have to take each, each situation and deal with each situation on its own? No, I don't think so. I think I, I would flip that a little bit on the head from my experience, what you've just said, because for me, it's really often that we're focusing way too much on the big picture. Like, I take not a pandemic, very, very simple. Um, the pandemic was not an issue for me now from a, from a, from uh, having a company and being a company owner uh, before the restrictions were in place. Technically, it was already a crisis before, but it wasn't really a crisis for me before that. It was a crisis for me maybe as a person regarding my health or focusing on my family, but, but not even that at that stage. But once the restrictions came in place, things changed. So that, that's when actually my, my crisis started because I couldn't travel anymore. I couldn't meet my clients. A lot of my work was based face to face and so on. So I think when it comes to, to, to those, to those issues, it's, it's often nowadays also through connection and everything way more complicated than simply saying this is a coronavirus crisis. Yes, that might've kicked it off, but it's way more complicated than that. Um, so the, the thing is I could, I could never do anything with the coronavirus either way. Right? I'm not a medical, I'm not working in that field, but, um, I have the opportunity to to work actually within the, the restrictions and problems that I face. But for that, I have to understand what my crisis is within the big picture. What are my problems to solve? What, what are things that, that really concern me? And I think identifying those is crucial because if you manage that, if you really, I wouldn't even talk about crisis at that point. I would just simply say, which decisions do I have to take? What, which, which things do I have to really decide on? in order to get through this the best way. And if I can specify that, I have already narrowed it down to, to my trees in that forest, which are important. And of course, there's always underlying issues and the context will change. And once I've taken the decision, I don't know what's on the other side. Yeah, I have an assumption, but there's so many players involved, so many dynamics going on that I don't know what happens on the other side. So I have to kind of look at it again afterwards, saying like, is my problem solved now? Is a new one up there and so on? So crisis management, I think, is, is always is well 
just constantly adjusting to to new to new things around you and i i personally think is not so different from what we anyway do but given that we call it a crisis so much from our own experience comes into that how it would we read into crisis and yes most people now say it's an opportunity but it would never be the first thing that they say when you ask them what is a crisis for you they would always say something negative and it would always it always creates um stress or negative emotions and so on so by simply labeling it that that you already give the situation a head start that you have to catch up on if you yeah. take away that label might be easier to to just respond to it because it's a it's a changing context which it technically is at any time <laughs> well yeah situations change all the time context changes all the time the thing that i love about your your approach and your mindset or your thinking is that you you really do shift the framing on how we traditionally might approach certain things, right? You know, either sometimes, you know, sometimes people like to really zoom in or some people like to really zoom out, but you kind of like go back and forth and go in between. And that's something that I think is really interesting because you've, you've also shared that in, in some of your writing, right? Where your, your recommend, your thoughts and your uh, advice around leadership and crisis management is probably counterintuitive to what we think of as leadership, right? Uh, specifically, I'm talking about, you know, when, when problems arise with crisis, you've, you've said that leaders should step away from giving recommendations and take more control, um, right? And again, some of these other tips that you share are, are counter to what many leaders are taught, like not giving up control and allowing for autonomy, right? We're usually taught like you have to give your team autonomy. We're told to trust our teams to come to the right solutions, but you've said, you know, we, we can't trust or we, we can't trust common sense. So we have to, again, kind of like take control of that situation. So right now, again, with the pandemic and, and with the economy and a lot of companies that are really concerned about things like cash flow, client engagement, and just staying open, what would you tell them right now about how to, how to manage these things? Maybe to just to give it an, a, a different notion of what you what you refer to. Um, I, I'm always for like giving giving the team uh, the space and the, the the platform to to come with their perspectives. The challenging crisis is that that the the responsibility, from my experience, way heavier lies on leaders um, in order to take those decisions, and that's where that's where the tricky thing comes in. So while the team is while the team should of course have the input and the autonomy to prepare solutions will ultimately be the leader who has to decide it and stand for the decision so when we come to the rules and, uh, and and recommendations the tricky thing with recommendations in crisis is that that's when the leadership and or management starts to lose control because you basically you give you you open up for choice so if you want to keep control over a situation like it's now in in very very relevant now directly in Norway where where a lot of the things are recommended uh, to do like uh, whether it's testing um, but then they have at the same time rules that if someone in your house gets tested uh, everybody has to stay home in quarantine so that the, the effect will be very simple nobody gets tested anymore because it's not it's not obligatory to get tested so I still have a choice there but the consequence is that nobody can go to work or to school or whatever if I wait five days for a test so I think I think that the, there's a few there's a few challenges with that. What I would recommend leaders and companies to do is just really find a balance. Like first of all, I think top managers and 
really like well leaders is a bit difficult uh, more difficult to say but but top level managers should not be necessarily in the crisis management teams i think they have other jobs uh during a crisis mm-hmm. i think their their job is to really keep the company afloat con- business continuity be there for for all the staff that's doing the work so they have to give autonomy to to the crisis management team whatever you want to call it reinvention task forces what i would like to call it uh, where different heads and different people sit in they're also you need leaders of course or a leader uh, maybe less formal maybe you give it make it formalized but that team can work and can prepare and can look at understanding the context as quickly as possible what are the new rules and how can we play them uh, before they change again and then play it back so so also there it's a tandem between between the top level leadership and and that team so i think the crisis leadership and management itself should almost be a separate identity uh, and really uh, play it back and forth between the company if this clarifies a bit yeah i i love that recommendation that's something that um i think that's is something underutilized and i think that a lot of organizations and like you said top management they feel like they need to be on these task forces or in the on these teams when really they have you know i mean they do have a lot more that is on their plate that they are responsible for so let's a small group of experts kind of go in like a scalpel right and really kind of find like operate on that one little area while the top level leaders take care of the whole body. So that's a really good point. Um, I want to shift a little bit because I, I was told that you were the speaker of your class in high school. And, and so what was, what was something that you learned um, or that you thought back when you were younger that is no longer true about leadership today? I think it has a lot, a lot to do with uh, with having to have control and information over everything. So I think it links beautifully to what we've just discussed. Because, of course, younger, I I thought like I information is everything. So if I don't know if I don't know something, um, it will actually backfire on me, and I felt insecure in my leader role. And I think the absolute opposite is true. I think you, as a leader, you do not necessarily have to have the information. And for me also, I do think still there's, there is so much work to be done between the clarification or the, the, the line between management and leadership. Because leadership for me doesn't have to necessarily even sit on top of, of, of the company. And I heard you on, talking on this podcast about it earlier with other guests where, where you actually say they can, they can pop up everywhere in a company. And I, I fully agree with that statement that you've made there. And I think that's, that's just crucial. And also those people don't have all the information. So I think it's, it's, that's one of the key things that I've learned. It's, it's not necessarily to know everything at all times. I can actually just backfire and make it more difficult for you as a leader because that might not be maybe your role. So yeah. I think that's certainly something that has changed. Well, people are a lot smarter than we give them credit for, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like you, you, you facilitate different trainings. And I know that's something that, you know, uh, with adult learning theory, with, with learning and development and training um, adults, again, is adults in particular can often come to their own conclusions. They can actually figure out the problems themselves. They don't like being told what the, what the answer is. They like solving it. And, um, and I've also been told that you are a facilitator at uh, bachelor parties and that you get really really creative 
you get really, really creative with, with some of the things that you, uh, you've done in the past that weren't, uh, from what I'm told, they weren't the best ideas. But how does, um, you know, how, I'm curious, how does like your facilitation nature come out in, at things like bachelor parties and how does that compare with, with the training classroom? Just for the record, I've, always, I've also suffered for, uh, for some of the ideas that I had when I was in, when I was the bachelor myself. Um, no, I, I think uh, for me, facilitation is, is all about exp- uh, creating experiences. It's, it's creating really arenas where people exactly like you've just described, get, get the opportunity to experience something different. And, and often I like to really call it out of the comfort zone and not necessarily always uh, <laughs> similar to bachelor parties where you also have to suffer a bit, but it's more, it's more um, really the experience that you, you deal with unexpected. You deal with something that might not make you feel comfortable, but my philosophy is like the moment you, you actually have experienced it once, it will not make you as uncomfortable next time. So you're expanding your comfort zone naturally. And, and that's what for me facilitation is about. And I really learned, or my, my core philosophy for my, my approach to facilitation is, was shaped in Australia on that island where I, I was so far taken out of my comfort zone. Um, but I was given, all I was given was a, a platform and an arena where I, for myself could find the way of, of dealing with this situation, not unguided. There were people there who could guide me and, and support me, but um, it was still that platform, that, that experience that just changed me and my, my thinking and me, well, as a person, certainly. And I do want to do a little bit of that in my, of that in my workshops uh, with my facilitation, just create those spaces and encourage people to, to step into them. There's no, Nobody's obliged, but I think I, I, I really like to encourage people to step into them and, and see that in a safe space, you can be out of the comfort zone as well, and it will make you take away something. I mean, I, I think that applies to, to leadership as well, right? Is leaders, well, first of all, facilitators are very much underrated leaders in, in the learning, in the learning uh, uh, environment. But when you take that in a broader organizational context or a societal context, when you look at leaders who create these safe spaces, again, the safe spaces is not saying everyone's all cozy and comfy, right? But it's a, to allow uncomfortable, uncomfortability to be present and to allow people to grow and ask, ask questions or to have the wrong answers or, or, uh, and really explore. So that's something that I think is um, underrated and, and, and not uh, really promoted enough in, in our society. I, I absolutely agree. I think you put it wonderfully uh, with how you just said it. I think the safe space to, to, to have really, uh, to allow for, for being uncomfortable is exactly what facilitation is about. And not saying that every, every facilitation or workshop has to be uncomfortable, but I think it's, it's the experience that, that you at least at one or the other point during a workshop or training um, where you are a bit triggered, that's what usually works. And when you're, when you're ready to look in the mirror, as I said, initially, this will work. You will something, you will take away something from it. And, and leadership and facilitation do have a lot in common. Facilitation is often a bit more of a formalized role where you actually put in that, in that role, but still the skills are very similar, I find. And, and it's again, also a facilitator is, is dependent on the group giving him or her trust. It's giving, it's giving, it's accepting 
that you're in this role now. So it's it's also there. I when I work with facilitators, when I when I coach facilitators, I'm very clear. Like, do not forget that it's a privilege that you're in this position. You're you're given you're you're given a privilege that you have this role. So take it also with responsibility and with care. And same as a leader, I could not, as I said initially, I could never be a leader or regard myself as a leader if not anybody would would like to be led by me. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's just really something you should never forget if you're in a leadership position ever. You put it so so well, um, and you know I, I kind of I, I want to end on that note um, and leave it at that because that's such a great way to put it. Right? Is you we really just can't. Um, it's a privilege to be a leader. It is not a it is not a right. And um, before we go though. Uh, I, I do have one more question. What is the impact that you're looking to leave on people? I'm not sure I would say that I would want to leave an impact on people. I think I think it's if anything, I would uh, I would want people to trust in their own perspectives, but understand that is not the only one. I uh, I want to encourage people to just take a look outside their own realities and look at things from just from a different angle you can always go back into your reality afterwards it's it's not as scary that you have to get stuck there but it's really just about keeping an open mind um looking also for the little things um i think it's it's important to really look for the little things take that moment to just be human um and not not only get lost in the tasks leading people first so i think it's it's really that uh don't Get rid of your assumptions, identify your assumptions, reality check your assumptions, and change your perspectives. It's a great way to put it, um, and no other better way to put it than uh, one more last piece of praise from Christian Marco, who, who said, the amazing thing about Thomas is that he knows which questions to ask and not ask at the proper moments. In moments when you are longing for answers, he might probably give it to you straight away, but always finds a way of finding the answer finds a way of finding the answers on your own. His approach has way more value for personal and team progress, even though it has something, or it is something challenging for oneself not getting answers straight away. Personally, I admire his way to handle difficult situations in whatever context. He, he master, he's a master of zooming himself out of the situation in order to get the necessary overview. So you've, you've clearly made an impact in your, um, the way that you work and your mindset clearly has an impact on people. I, I want to thank you again for coming on this podcast. And um, where can people connect with you? People can connect with me, well, on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to, to, to expand my network and meet fantastic people like yourself, uh, which I'm still very grateful for. Um, but also on, uh, on the web, either on uh, groundwork.team or on thecrisiscompass.com. I'm happy for any, anybody reaching out. Well, thank you again, Thomas. I'll make sure that your contact information is uh, available for people to connect with you. And thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. It was really a pleasure and very humbling experience. Uh, so thank you a lot. Thanks a lot for talking to me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leading People First podcast. Crisis is everywhere if we really want to make it as big in our heads as we want. I love Thomas's advice to allow yourself to take a moment to figure out what's really going on and the benefits of diversity and empowerment when we ask questions. If you liked what you heard, take a screenshot and share it with someone who might need to learn a thing or two from Thomas about crisis management. 
Don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes automatically downloaded to your device. I'm really happy that you're joining me on this journey, exploring how leadership affects the employee experience. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.